Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 50. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. In this session, we're going to continue on in our study in John chapter 4 and then also cover John chapter 5. Uh, but I want to take a make one statement about what we were studying last time in earlier in chapter four, when we talked about the uh, Samaritan woman and Jesus' encounter with her. Um, I wanted to mention that Jesus practices charity with clarity. Um, even though he has this nice encounter with her and tells her about uh, what what he is offering in terms of living water that she can never be thirsty again. And he's referring to eternal life. And, uh, she, you know, he makes a convert out of her. Um, he, he doesn't say to her, hey, you're a Samaritan. That's totally cool. I think it's great that uh, you, you worship other gods other than uh, just ours but that you have these other five gods, etc. No, uh, he is very clear that salvation is from the Jews. And of course, that was the case at that point because Jesus was Jewish and had not fully developed the church yet. So as we're having religious discussions with others, and we pray for the time and the place and the, and the uh, person, to have those discussions, we want to be clear and practice charity with clarity as to why we are Catholic. And of course, the basic reason for that is because it is the church that Christ founded. It was given uh, the power, that church was given the keys of the kingdom, the power to bind and loose. And um, so it's the fullness of truth. Uh, this isn't an apologetics class per se, but we always want to have a reason for our faith. And that's what that's the comment I wanted to make about that. Now, we're still in chapter 4, and we want to look at Jesus' second sign that he is divine, that he is who he said he is. Remember, there are seven signs in John's gospel that point to Jesus' divinity. Seven, of course, being the number of perfection and uh, completion. So the second sign, Jesus returns from the, that well to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. That's in Cana. Now there was a royal official whose son was ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son who was near death. So this royal official walked 20 miles from uh, um, Capernaum to Cana. And um, so then he says, hey, Jesus, will you, will you help me come down before my child dies? Verse 50, Jesus said to him, you may go, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said to him and left. Verse 51, while he was on his way back, his slaves met him and told him that his boy would live. He asked them when, he be, when his son began to recover, and they told him the fever left him yesterday about one in the afternoon. 
So the revi- excuse me, the New American Bible says one in the afternoon. A more literal translation, which you've heard me say before, is the Revised Standard Version, which instead of saying it happened at one in the afternoon, says about the seventh hour. Seventh hours. Well, knowing what you know about John's gospel, is it surprising that John chose to throw in this little detail that the healing occurred in the seventh hour? Again, the number of completion, the number of perfection. So you might be saying, if you were looking at this story from Protestant eyes, you might say, hey, the man, it says right there in Verse 50, the man believed what Jesus said to him, and then his son was healed, right? So all you have to do is believe. We've been talking now for weeks about how belief entails action that follows the belief. You know, the old story that I told a number of times ago about getting in the wheelbarrow with Jesus, trusting him and doing something with it. So before you say, uh, looking at it with Protestant eyes, hey, all he did was believe and his son was healed. No, we just said the man walked 20 miles there to meet Jesus. And then, of course, he walked 20 miles back. So I would say that he put his faith in motion there. And so uh, here we are now in chapter 5. So we see a third sign of Jesus' divinity out of, you guessed it, seven signs. And this is where Jesus cures a, uh, a man who's been uh, ill for uh, 38 years. And uh, the story, just to summarize, there's a pool that uh, had gushes water on a periodic basis, kind of bubbles up. But unlike Old Faithful in America that, you know, bubbles up at a certain time each each day, uh, it's never quite known by anyone when this pool will bubble up. The, the, pool, the bubbling pool was thought to have healing powers for those who would be in the water at the time that it bubbled up. But since you don't know if it's going to bubble up now or next Tuesday or at four o'clock or whatever, you got to kind of wait till it bubbles up and then hopefully you're in the water. You don't stay in the water or, you know, just like if you stayed in a swimming pool forever, you know, for four straight hours, uh, you know, your skin would get all wrinkly and everything. So uh, one man was there. We're in verse five of chapter five. Uh, One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. I want you to underline 38 years. We'll come back to it, and you'll see why we're underlining it. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be well? Well, the guy had been ill for 38 years. And Jesus' question is, it's kind of like if you're walking with a friend of yours and uh, something fell off of a tall building and hit you on the head, knocked you over, and there's blood spurting out of your head, and your friend says to you, uh, are you okay? Do you need some help? Well, it seems like a silly question. seems like a silly question when Jesus says, do you want to be well? Well, many times there are poor people, let's say on the streets of Chicago, and they say, can I have some money? And so you might ask them, do you want something to eat? Perhaps that's what uh, is needed rather than giving them uh, money per se. 
So Jesus says, do you want to be well? And the sick man doesn't give him a direct answer. You'd think he'd say, sure, I want to be well. But the sick man kind of gives him an excuse and says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up or when the water bubbles up. So I won't be, you know, in the water when when the healing properties of the bubbling come up. You know, maybe it's a, a hot pool or something. Um, when I'm, I'm on my way, someone else gets down there before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your mat and walk. Immediately the man became well, took up his mat and walked. Okay, why did I have you underline 38 years back in uh, the, the, the phrase 38 years back in verse 5? This man is a symbol of Israel. Okay, so next to where you're underlying 38 years in verse 5, I want you to write Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14. So Deuteronomy 2, 14 in the Old Testament tells us that the uh, people during their wandering in the desert uh, to get to the promised land, it says it took them, you guessed it, 38 years to go from a place called Kadesh to the promised land. Now they could have done that same trip in about two weeks. But what happened, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, I thought they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Well, the first year was they were going to Mount Sinai, and um, then the second year they uh, traveled to Kadesh. I'm rounding these figures off. But then at Kadesh, God said, hey, I want you to go take the promised land. All you got to do is walk in there and it's yours. And the people didn't trust God. And so they said, well, maybe we ought to send out some spies first to see if we have a chance to win. That's not what God told him. He said, if you go in there, just trust in me and the land will be yours. So to make a long story less long, uh, the people, instead of trusting God, they said, let's send some spies. So they sent 12 spies. 10 of them came back to Kadesh and said, man, um, these people in the promised land, in, in the land of Canaan, they're bigger than us. There's more of them than us. They're better equipped than us. We're going to get, we're, we're going to lose this battle. And, but there were two spies who said, yeah, you know, all of the, all that the other spies said is true. They are bigger than us. But God said, if we go in there, the victory will be ours. So let's do it. Well, so the people took a, you know, they took a vote, I guess. And uh, they said, no, 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 we probably shouldn't do that right away. And that is why it took them 38 additional years per Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, to reach the promised land. So you know that everything in John is symbolic and points to something else, right? So this man is symbolic of Israel in that he is needing to be saved, if you will, his physical health is needed, needing to be saved. He can't do it on his own. He needs help. Um, now, just as another really cool uh, parallel between this and the story of the wandering Jews in, uh, in attempting to get to the promised land, who was one of those spies? It was Joshua, also known as Yeshua, and Jesus is another name for Yeshua or Joshua, okay? So just as Joshua leads the people to the promised land out of their 38 years of, uh, of self, 
self-imposed misery, Jesus is going to lead those who will follow him, and this man in particular, into uh, into the waters of healing. Remember, the people had to cross the Jordan River to get to the promised land, and Jesus is going to um, heal this guy so that he can get uh, in, uh, you know, uh, so you know, so that he can be healed. So Jesus is fulfilling that. Okay, so all of that is is great, and I think we see the the symbolism here. We need Jesus to uh, to save us, just as this man needed uh, direction from from Jesus. Now, all of that's great, except for one problem. It says in verse nine. Now that day was a Sabbath, so Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and to summarize. The, uh, you know, the Jews in, in power, they're all upset about this because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Now, we saw similar stories in the Gospel of Matthew, so uh, we're not going to go into all that great detail. But uh, Jesus is basically telling us, number one, he's above the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And uh, uh, secondly, we should always be willing to help those in need regardless of what day it is. Uh, so, uh, and so uh, we would be guided by that if we see somebody who's on the side of the road and needs our help on, as we're on our way to church on Sunday, maybe you're late for Mass because you want to stop and, and help that help that person. Um, uh, but that's not all. Not only does he heal somebody on the, on the Sabbath, um, and by the way, we'll go back to verse 14. The, the guy walks away and later Jesus finds him in the temple area and verse 14 said to him, look, you're well, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may happen to you. Well, what could be worse than, than being infirm for 38 years? Two thoughts on that. Um, number one, um, if eternal life is much more important to you, to me, to all of us, than mere uh, physical health. That's thought number one. And thought number two is perhaps this man, his, his sins had caused his infirmity. I don't, I don't know, but some sin does have physical consequences. You know, if you're an alcoholic and in an al al alcoholic stupor, you, you, you fall down and, you know, hurt yourself, uh, you know, or, or give yourself liver damage through all you, you drink, you know, some sin does have physical consequences. So stay away from uh, sin. It's, it's not good, right? That's pretty evident. So uh, then Jesus says again, my father is at work until now. In other words, God works on the Sabbath. So I am at work. He says this in verse 17. Circle I am in verse 17. So now, uh-oh, he's using the name of God. I am, you know, the Yahweh that we talked about last time. For this reason, the Jews tried all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also called God his own father, making himself equal to God. Come on, people, you know, the, the, they were so ensconced in their own uh, religious positions 
that they're, you know, jealous of somebody doing a healing. I mean, I think they would, you would think they would be thrilled that uh, someone who had been paralyzed for 38 years would be healed regardless of when that is. So they were letting their religiosity get in the way of their, of their, uh, of their um, works, if you will. And so we certainly don't want to do that. Um, and so let's see now for those of you who uh, we just saw last week, I think it was John three seventeen, where it says, for God did not send his son, uh, to judge the world. And we said, well, right, not on his first visit, but when he comes the second time, he will be a judge. So here we are a mere chapter or so later and we come to verse 22, um, Jesus says to these same people, nor does the father judge anyone, but he has given all judgment to his son. So underline, he has given all judgment to his son. So to be clear, Jesus will be a judge. And I think this points out the danger in picking out a given verse out of the Bible and uh, out of context and developing a whole theology around it or uh, a whole view of the Bible. So somebody will look at John 3.17 and say, Jesus didn't come to judge. It says it right there. But here we are a scant uh, chapter or, well, maybe two chapters later, and it clearly says um, God has given all judgment to his son. So uh, we, we don't want to take a, a verse out of context, and that's not how we as Catholics do it. But you will find others who like to do that. They'll take a verse out of context and build a whole theology around it. Okay. Um, and lest you think that your deeds have nothing to do with your salvation and that it is merely belief and intellectual assent, Hey, check out verse 29 in uh, chapter 4. The second part of it says, those who have done good deeds, uh, under, underline this whole uh, verse 29, those who have done good deeds will go to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked deeds to the resurrection of condemnation. So once again, belief entails action that demonstrates that belief or good fruit, as we saw often in the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, next, God or Jesus goes on and uh, says in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think you have eternal life through them. I want you to underline verse 39 um, and circle the word them even though they testify on my behalf, but you do not want to come to me to have life. Circle me. So yes, the scriptures point to Jesus, of course, but um, we do not have eternal life through the book of the Bible. We have eternal life, not through a book, but through a person, Jesus Christ. And that is pointed out in verses 39 and 40 when we take them to together. Uh, so we don't worship the Bible. We appreciate the Bible, but um, it is the person of Jesus Christ who started a church, by the way, to teach us about Christ that uh, will, will uh, save, save us. 
Okay. And then he goes on and talks about uh, Scripture some more. And he says in verse 46, If you had believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. Well, wait a minute. Did Moses really write about Jesus? So you might want to, in verse the, the last part of verse 46, circle, he wrote about me. Well, in, a, in this sense, in Jewish tradition at least, Moses, quote-unquote, wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, which would include Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where uh, in the story of the fall, God is telling Satan um, that the Messiah, he will crush your head. So Moses did uh, talk about Jesus, didn't name him as Jesus, but, you know, in other words, there will be the Messiah. Well, we're about out of time for uh, chapter 4 and 5, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, as Jesus did with the Samaritan woman, we want to practice charity with clarity. We want to be kind, we want to be inclusive, but we do not want to dumb down our faith or uh, put another faith on the same level as ours. And so uh, help us to, to be clear when we share our faith. Uh, help us to use Jesus as a, a, an example and look for people that we can cure because we are uh, the body of Christ in a sense of the word and uh, to look for those that we can help and ask them, do you want to be well or how, how, can, I, how, can, how can I help you? And so give us those opportunities there. Uh, help us to recognize that Jesus will ultimately be our judge and that it's later than we think. So uh, we need to constantly work on uh, building our relationship with you and repairing that relationship with you. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, come back next time and we'll look at a central theme of Catholicism, which is the Eucharist, developed very nicely in John chapter 6.